If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited to bring you this show. Our podcast is all about unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed games. Each episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Assassin's Creed universe. From pieces of Eden, solar flares, and the Isu, to the Hidden Ones, the Order of Ancients, and of course, the Animus, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby. You might also know me as She Cup. I am super, super, super stoked for our episode today. We have a great surprise for y'all. Um, but before we jump into that, my co-host is here with me. Hey, yeah, I am Austin, also known as Teacup. Excited to be here. Yes. So we have a really awesome guest with us today um, by the name of Philip Shabazz, who you may also recognize as the voice of Altair from the original Assassin's Creed. Hello and welcome. Hi, Shelby. Hi, Austin. Thanks for inviting me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. We are um, super excited to have you with us today. you know, before we kind of talk any of the interview questions or anything we we prepared beforehand, yeah. we always ask all of our guests across all of our podcasts, you know, what um, do you love about Assassin's Creed? And obviously for people who have played the games, we ask what got you into the games and what keeps you coming back. But I don't know if you've played any of the games. So, you know, any any part of that question that you want to answer would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I'll start with that one, and then I'll work backwards. Um, I have played Assassin's Creed. We recorded in 2007. I didn't, I didn't actually play it right away. It took me a little bit of time, but once I got there, I did. A, I did play it and play it all the way through. It's a weird thing playing a video game where your voice is featured in this way, like with a TV show or like a commercial. It's like done, and then you can just sort of shelve it and move on. But you're like interacting with a video game it's a little bit more intimate in a way. So, mm. um, sort of, so as a result, I sort of had like 
I don't know, just like felt like insecure about playing my own game. And then finally I was just like, okay, I'm going to do this. I had enough people saying, dude, you got to play your game, play the game. And it was awesome. And then I've also played Assassin's Creed 2. Um, I have not played any of the Assassin's Creed beyond Assassin's Creed 2. And there's pretty good reason behind that. Maybe we'll get into it. Um, but uh, what I love about Assassin's Creed beyond my involvement is the world building is amazing. The world building is amazing. Um, just, just going off Assassin's Creed. When I say Assassin's Creed, um, I'm referring to the original game, not Assassin's Creed. <laughs> Assassin's Creed is the original game. And so in, in Assassin's Creed, I mean, you go into so many different places, so many different cities, interact with so many different characters. In that first Assassin's Creed, the, the, the attention to detail in each of these areas and how it weaves itself in through to history is so cool. Um, Altair is able to use every facet of every area he is in um, from the tiniest little ledge to whatever thing he's going to walk on. I mean, it, it was a mind-blowing experience to play that game initially. And I'm curious from the two of you, did you play Assassin's Creed when it first came out or did you have to sort of double back to it? Mm. Yeah, well, I'm newer to the series, so I actually started with Assassin's Creed Origins um, and then went all the way back, which kind of was weird, but um, that's just what I did. I don't know. I don't know why, um, but I just after playing Origins, I started Odyssey and was like, I just I feel like I need to go back to the original. So I went all the way back, which, you know, for the graphics and and all of that was a little bit hard getting used to. But I yeah. loved the story. Um, and also the setting was awesome, too. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. I know Austin is a totally different experience than I do. I stumbled into Assassin's Creed by watching someone else play it and then went back. I watched someone else play and I was like, oh, that's cool, whatever. But I actually didn't play a game until Assassin's Creed 2. And so I played yep. one, the first one, retro. Like, I went back and played it, um, which is just really, it's a really interesting experience, um, just mechanically, how yeah. things change in the game. But so I did that. But I remember one of the things that caught me in Assassin's Creed was like the process of having to build yourself back up again, where you start as like, you're awesome and you're powerful and you do all this thing. And then you're like, and everything now gets I'm taken away. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then that process of building it, I really liked that. And just, I think in Altair as a character there, you can see that of like in how he reacts, like he starts, he's so frustrated by every little thing that he has to do. Yeah. And then there's that wisdom that comes from by the he's at the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in addition to the world building, um, it is the writing of this story. Um, Corey May, who wrote the script, just did an incredible job of writing something that is nuanced. It's amazing how so many folks who sort of get a hold of me through the socials talk about how this bit or that bit bit of Altair or these different lessons that they've learned are now life lessons that they try and pass on to their kids. Like that stuff is super meaningful and comes from um, a place of approaching uh, the original Assassin's Creed in a way that was very, very different than the video games that came before it. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit more, but man, that first Assassin's Creed was a serious video game. It was a departure from sort of more the um, 
like I like I had played Prince of Persia prior to Assassin's Creed, and I loved that game. But that game, it comes from an era where the characters are winking at you a little bit. Like they know they're in an animation. Um, they're having a little bit more fun. There's nothing, there's there's no jokes in the original Assassin's Creed. They are not messing around. And you follow this story where this character, not only does his arc get smashed and he's got to start all over again, but then he learns all these life lessons over the course of his arc and the creed becomes something different than what he thought it was by the end of the, by the end of the video game. So, but yes, that's, that's my, that's my blurb on Assassin's Creed playing Assassin's Creed anyway. Cool. So, um, yeah, let's just jump right in. So you've played Assassin's Creed, the original, and uh-huh. you've played Assassin's Creed two. Um, this is not really in my list of questions at all, but, what was for you the difference between the two games and um did is was there things that you liked about assassin's creed 2 or assassin's creed the original over the other and vice versa i think it's it's a hard question shelby for me to answer like i played like the last video game i played sort of all the way through was jedi fallen order which was like I don't know how many years ago was that. And I couldn't tell you exactly what happened in, in Fallen Order. I think I know, you know, I know Assassin's Creed, the original, um, sort of so much more than I remember mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed 2, other than Roger Craig Smith is just the man. I mean, that's it. Um, his performance is Ezio. Um, and that game really launched launched off of the original Assassin's Creed in a really, really wonderful way. I think that, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, um, a lot of Assassin's Creed fans look back to Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed 2, and then possibly Revelations, um, maybe as being sort of the the core three. Is that about right? Am I off on that? Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. Yeah, I think so. With Desmond, there are five games that are like his games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that that policy and so i think those five games which is assassin's creed one two brotherhood revelation three right those kind of like hold the core of like what the franchise started as yeah yeah and so and since then just talking from fans there's there's been like people love the franchise and love the games but what I've heard sort of is it's been a little bit of a departure from the core of what they used to be. Would you guys agree with that? Or would you say, would you say not like Odyssey is my favorite? Yeah, no, it's definitely a big departure. And I think, I think there's kind of been three different waves of that. Like Austin said, with those original five games and then going into this weird, like middle ground with like syndicate and Mm -hmm. uh, whatever the other one was that I haven't played yet. Um, Those are kind of their own thing. And then origins through Valhalla are kind of their own thing that are very much more RPG esque, especially Valhalla, which I'm playing through right now for the first time. Um, so th- I think there's kind of three waves in my opinion. Um, yeah. but it's the thing that's so interesting to me is that at least from the marketing for the, the new game that's coming out, uh, next month, Mirage, it very much is being marketed as going back, um, to those kind of core games, the old style of games. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Austin, would you, would you agree with that? Uh, I would agree with that. Okay, cool. Well, so I'm really curious about like the process for getting cast 
in the original Assassin's Creed as Altair, you know, did you interview for other um, characters or were you always going for Altair? Yeah. So, um, so when I got, when I received the audition for, so this was 2007 and um, 2007 was like a big acting year for me. Like in addition to Assassin's Creed, there's like three or four pretty big TV shows that I was cast in as well. Assassin's Creed was right in the middle of all that. And um, what's interesting is that the audition for Assassin's Creed didn't come from my, like a, my agent, didn't come traditionally. Um, my parents are uh, immigrants from the Middle East. And so um, I was born in Chicago. They immigrated to Chicago in 1970. I was born in Chicago. We lived there for quite some time. So at 10, 11 years old, we moved to Central California. When we moved, after we moved to Central California, I went up to uh, Washington State for college and then came to LA um, for grad school. And I've been in LA ever since. So basically since 1996. But coming from a Middle Eastern background, even though I was born in this country, I don't have a Middle Eastern accent naturally, even though I can speak a couple of Middle Eastern languages. Um, I was positioned as an actor to really be sort of available or typecast or however you want to say it, into this sort of Middle Eastern acting world. So I get a lot of the parts I go for, a lot of parts I have opportunities for are Middle Eastern themed. And so one of the guys who was a consultant, like a Middle East consultant. So for example, if you watch the unit, and a portion of the unit takes place in the Middle Eastern, a Middle Eastern country. Well, they need a Middle Eastern consultant to make sure that the Arabic is right and this looks right and that looks right. That there's any sort of cultural issues. They're watching out. It's their job. Well, this particular Middle Eastern consultant was on a lot of different shows, and he got to know a lot of us younger guys, and oftentimes would call us with auditions for different things. And so um, one day he called and said, "Hey, I got this video game audition for you. Are you interested?" And I was like, "Of course, I'm interested." And so I remember the day, I mean, I remember it was, you know, the studio, the casting offices right there on Hollywood and uh, Hollywood and Highland on the corner of Hollywood and Highland, just not, not too far away from the Chinese theater and the Roosevelt hotel right there in the heart of Hollywood. And, and when I walked into that casting room is a big room. Sometimes these casting rooms are sort of set up like corrals. They're sort of like a big open space. And it was just me and a sea of Middle Eastern dudes, uh, half of which I, I knew, right? And half of which um, this consultant, Sam, had already had also sent to the audition. And so at the time, um, we were all auditioning for the same thing. So we all had the same you know, the same, uh, same sides. Sides, if, uh, for those who aren't familiar with sort of the Hollywood language, um, there's a script, which is the whole story, and then your sides. Your sides are the three or four pages that you might use for the audition. And so um, that's the first time we got to look at the sides and sort of look at the look at the character. And um, at the time, they they definitely were looking for somebody who is Middle Eastern accented. And so I did my audition, and then um, got a call back. And then for the call back, there was less guys, um, and they continued to have me at that that call back audition for the Altair character. And this time, they just asked, "Hey, a little bit less of a Middle Eastern accent." This happened two more times. Um, where they called me back for Altair. And again, each time a little bit less more of a Middle East, you know, a little bit less of a Middle Eastern accent. Until finally, I got the call that I had gotten the job. Um, and the job, and this is something, so I, it took four days to record, 300 and I think 65 pages of dialogue. And those four days, like a, 
a, a Screen Actors Guild day for voice is four hours. So it's four four-hour days to record the entire original Assassin's Creed. And um, um, it was, yeah, like I said, about 365 pages. And, you know, every job is a little bit different. Typically, casting is like the very last thing that happens on any production, whether it's a video game or a movie or TV. Casting is the last thing they do. And so by the time I got to the job, that script is done. They've got animatics going that they can show you. They've got a few things they can show you. But basically showing up to uh, record Assassin's Creed, it was like, here's the 365 pages, plunk, let's go. And just, just started recording. And that's how it all started. Wow. That's so interesting that they, you know, kind of had this process of taking away um, the Mid Middle Eastern accent, because I remember playing that game and being like, this is set in the Middle East, right? Like, I feel like the main character, Altair, doesn't really have a Middle Eastern accent. So it's so interesting to, like, hear that um, straight from the source. So that's that's yeah, super fascinating. And, and, and all the other characters in Assassin's Creed do have Middle Eastern accents, right? <laughs> and so... Yeah. Um, so I didn't know, like, basically when I got to the first day of recording is when the director told me we're not going to use the accent, we're going to drop the accent. And so that was that was a little bit of a surprise. But I understand, like, you know, this is 2007. This is like five, six years from 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's, it was just a different time than it is now. And so I think I mean, I've talked about this before, that um, I think that probably that decision was just made to make the character in the game a little bit more accessible to a broader audience at the time. I don't think that same decision would happen today. And it's, you know, and I think that's a good thing, mm -hmm. but um, is, Hey, they clearly knew what they were doing. Cause you know, the game and the franchise became huge. True. Before we get into like the next kind of question, I do have like uh, two kind of questions that are related to this. The first one is like, can you speak a little of like finding Altair's voice the process of like how, you arrived at what he would sound like. Yeah, so I think that what what I was bringing to, there's a couple, a couple of different ways to answer the question. I think that what I was bringing to my audition process was a couple things. Number one was, I think that because I'm an American, although I come, my parents come from a Middle Eastern background, there's um, the cadence of my voice was probably a little bit different than somebody coming directly from the Middle East. Um, and the way they might approach their English or their American standard English. I think that's number one from like a technical point of view. The other part, which I think speaks more to your question, is this dude starts off with an arrogance and a hubris. And I think all of us, I was referring to Altair, all of us can find that within us, can find moments in our lives when we relied on our arrogance and our hubris, or we used it as a crutch. And so he begins with that arrogance and hubris and then becomes humbled. We've been humbled before in our lives. And then he goes across this journey and then finds that he has been betrayed. And we found that in our lives as well. So I think for each of these moments, those three or four moments, what was important to me as we recorded it was to find those moments in my life and speak through them. As a result, Altair has a sense of urgency. Um, he has a sense of urgency and a sense of commitment in the way he speaks. And I think that there's a little bit of myself in that as well. That's great to hear. Um, thanks for sharing that. My other question kind of has to do with a little bit of the world building. I think 
in its time, Assassin's Creed, when it came out in 2007, it was really like a new perspective on a time frame and a story we had only heard really in media from one perspective, which is the time of the Crusades. And we have only really heard that from the Christian perspective. And like Altair enters this and it's much, it sheds a lot more light on the complexity of that era and everything going on, I guess, just like, how do you feel that was handled in the game or like versus Altair and his, even though we don't really deal that directly with the Crusades. Yeah, I think that like Altair is pretty agnostic in in the video game. He's 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 not he's not focused on religion, but what he is focused on that sometimes for some of us can be a one to one is he's got a moral compass. He's got something that he like he's got the creed. That is who he is. That is what he stands on. And then it gets destroyed and then he's got to fight for it again. I think though what I appreciated about Assassin's Creed specifically is it was pretty awesome to see a video game like this big video game set in the Middle Eastern world with Middle Eastern characters. Um, That was something pretty rare for back then. It's sort of something rare right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something really cool and something to be celebrated. I think an additional point, Austin, is when Assassin's Creed came out, I mean, this was this this video game was I know like by today's standards, it's pretty clunky, but back then it was pretty incredible. I don't know Mm -hmm. if either of you have seen the original game trailer for Assassin's Creed. It is, um, it's basically, you know, a two minute cinematic um, game trailer where Altair does his leap of faith. He blends through the crowd and then he starts dodging some folks, pulls out his crossbow, and then makes the jump. The spike comes out, and he hits the Templar with the spike on the uh, sort of execution platform. Does that ring a bell for either of you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. That was revolutionary. And that was the thing that made me go, holy crap, what is this that we're doing? This is insane. They did not show that to me initially. Um, <laughs> like, it was two days. I was two days into recording before I saw that game trailer. The reason I saw the game trailer was because... I used to work um, with a lot of college students and um, I just happened to speak to some college students that were like, Hey, what are you working on right now? And they're all like, Oh, I was like, oh, I'm working this video game. It's called Assassin's Creed. And they just like lost their minds. Right. And they're like, dude, have you seen the game trailer? I was like, no. And they showed me the game trailer and I was like, Oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Holy <laughs> cow. That game trailer, it really was, it really did feel like a pendulum swing with video games that that game trailer and Assassin's Creed really shifted video games from a from one era to the next era. Earlier I was talking about Prince of Persia. So many of us love that game. I love that game and had a blast with that game. But the characters in that game, the writing style in that game is winking at you a little bit. Like you're in on this sort of fun thing um, as much as you get to kill and do cool things. Um, but when Assassin's Creed comes along, all of a sudden you've got a dead serious story with a serious character who is an assassin, he can do all these amazing things. All of a sudden, it's not just about, um, like I used to play in college, we used to play the Bond game, and you just run around with your first-person shooter and you get bad guys. That's not what this was. There was strategy here. There was learning here. Um, blending into a mm. crowd so that your enemies don't see you. Having conversations with people that would unlock this or that, and then you go to this next person until you find your Templar, and, and then... And then you get to the confession, all of a sudden Altier is like having this deep, like uh, happy 
deathly discussion with the dude he just killed. It, it was like, it was unlike anything that had been in video games before. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty incredible. And so just to, just to have been involved with something that was so um, instrumental in changing the way the industry approaches video games is pretty cool. And I think Assassin's Creed was right at the center of that. I completely agree with that. And I think it's so interesting to think about Assassin's Creed, yes, and also just kind of video games as a whole and the shift that happened like in the early 2000s of like, okay, well, it's not all Mario Kart anymore. Like it's not all Donkey Kong and just like shooting stuff. Like there is story here. There are characters here. There is a whole world here. Um, You just, you know, have to pick the right game. So I think that that's it's so crazy to think about. And now we're in a whole new era where like the graphics look completely different than they did 10 years ago. And that's cool too. Um, so it's just yeah. really interesting to think about how video games have changed over the past five, 10, 20, 20 years for sure. Yeah. And, and, and I kid you not, like again, playing this in 2008, um, when I f- took my first leap of faith playing the video game, sort of took your breath away. Yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing to do that within a video game and realize this is something you're playing on your own console in your own home. It was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Um, so Philip, do you have any favorite lines or scenes or just like story points, um, from Altair's arc? Yeah, I think that, um, the creed, you know, certainly it's one, one of the fun things is when you sort of meet with fans and, you know, I'm doing some, like, this is really the first year where I've been able to come out and start meeting with fans and start sort of signing some autographs, signing some pops, that kind of thing. And it's really fun to see what quotes, people really connect to the most, um, what people really enjoy the most or what speaks to them the most. Um, so I've been hearing a lot of different quotations, a lot of different parts of Altair's story, especially over the past year that really resonate with people. And as much as I've heard this entire time from the beginning, from recording all the way through now, to me, it is the creed that gets me the most. It's the creed and, and, and I, I'd mentioned this earlier, how, how Altair's um, interpretation of the creed it, uh, changes from, uh, from the beginning of the game to the end of the game um, is, is a meaningful transition. It's a meaningful arc. And I know for me, when I look at that creed, always stay your blade from the flesh of the innocent. If I'm just going to look at that and apply it to my daily life, what I love about that first part of the creed is that there is a call to protect the innocent and the vulnerable mm-hmm. around you. There's a call to make sure the vulnerable around you do not get harmed. We don't kill innocents. We protect innocents. I know for me, like, and for my family, one of the important things for us is to always keep an eye out for the vulnerable in our community. Who are the most vulnerable in our community? And the idea that this uh, crazy animated character that I played back in 2007 that the first part of the creed still resonates with me in my own personal life is pretty meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that fr- that first part of the creed, protect the vulnerable, stay your blade from the flesh of the innocent, always hide in plain sight. 
Altair has the ability, and I'm sure, you know, the assassins have the ability to blend in with the crowd, to be part of the community, blend into the community, um, to be seen as one of the community in an effort to hide themselves from their enemies. And I think that that's almost an extension of the first part of the creed in as much as my job is to protect. My hope is that as part of my life, I can protect the vulnerable around me. I can look out for the vulnerable around me. And I am part of this community. I'm uh, essential to this community. I can blend in into this community and never compromise the brotherhood. There's this idea that resonates with me that oftentimes what is left over, even on your hardest days, is um, the loyalty and commitment you share with the people that are most valuable around you. The people have been there around you. In the context of Assassin's Creed, you don't betray your brothers. You don't betray um, your assassins. That's your creed. But in in daily life, um, to live with the hope and expectation that you were committed to one another, committed to protecting one another and honoring one another, treating one another with dignity, all of that really resonates with me. So long answer to your question, Shelby, I go back to the creed. That's that's mm. that's the one for me the most. Is Is there a... Um, Assassin's Creed, original Assassin's Creed moment that sticks out to either of you? So for me, I always really appreciate. Um, so I think, I can't remember his name, but like Malik, the guy who's with you mm-hmm. in the first thing and he loses his arm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he's like the person that when you start the game, other than the old man that he kills, the innocent man that he kills, but Malik is the one who like suffers the consequences of Altair's yeah. hubris. And there's a scene like right before the end and he goes to like start the final mission or whether where he has a heart to heart with Malik and he like basically asks, he repents of what he did to him. And it's just such a true yeah. moment. And you really feel that because Altair has gone through this whole process of trying to do things differently and live by his creed. And then to see the like moment of taking that into action into trying to make things right with this person who was directly wronged and then that person later comes and helps because he takes that step to mend that bridge that person then helps him in the final going to confront Al-Molim and everything yeah it, it's I, I think it's just bonkers that we're having a conversation about how a video game has how we've learned lessons from a video game which is so cool <laughs> I'm gonna keep that quiet with my kids for now because they're playing like <laughs> Pokemon and like, you know, (laughs) racing video games, but it's amazing. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's really powerful. I totally agree about the creed. Um, And I, I, that's one of the reasons why I loved Assassin's Creed origins, because we get to see how the creed started. We see its origin literally. Um, And Bayek is one of my favorite Assassin's Creed characters of all time. No offense to Altair, but Um, Just to see how that principle of protecting the innocent has gone into multiple games, started at the beginning and continues on, um, I think is really powerful. And it's it's an important lesson for us to learn, too. And it's not just something that's relegated to video games, for sure. Good call, Shelby. Thank you. So when you first got cast as Altair, um, when you were recording your lines, did you have any idea that the game franchise would become as big as it did? No, no. But here's the thing, though. It wasn't until so the the two days that we were working, the initial two days we were working on Assassin's Creed, it was clear this is a big game. 
it's clear that this is a dense game. I mean, that script was so profoundly dense. Um, the, 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 I mean, the time it takes to world build 365 pages and characters is mm-hmm. bonkers. I knew that we were doing something special. And I also knew that as I was learning more about the game as we were recording and getting to look at animatics, I was like, this dude, this, this assassin looks awesome. Like how many people are going to dress up like this guy? Like this guy looks <laughs> awesome. Um, that's what I knew. It wasn't until I saw that game trailer I was telling you about that I was like, holy cow, this could be a monster. It could mm-hmm. be an absolute monster. Now, the reason I didn't play Assassin's Creed initially when it came out was not only because I was like feeling insecure about you know playing a video game with my own voice, but it was also because Shelby and Austin at the same time, like while I was recording Assassin's Creed, my wife was in the hospital pregnant with quadruplets, four babies. Wow. And so wow. by the time, like they were born in March of 2007, three boys and one girl. And they were in the hospital. They were in NICU for two mm-hmm. to three months. They came home one at a time. I and mean, when you have a litter of children, basically, um, you are outnumbered, right? And so uh, <laughs> you, you cannot take care of them by yourself, especially with all the different medical needs they have. And so you've mm-hmm. got, you need volunteers, you need a village. And so really that first year, um, from March of 2007, almost to March of 2008, I did the night shift with three or four volunteers. And my wife would do the day shift with three or four volunteers. And that was life. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, I recorded Assassin's Creed. I was like, holy cow, this is, this is wild. This is, this, this could be huge. And then like disappeared off the face of the map into quadruplet heaven. Right. right, right. And then came out in March of 2008 and like saw the sun for the first time. And I was like, what's going on? What's happened to the world? And like, I don't know if y'all remember, but at the time, 2008 was the the economy had crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, the writers and actors strike was also mm-hmm. happening at the same time. There's like 145 day writers strike, actors strike during that time. And so it's like the world had changed, right? And so it wasn't until after that first year where the kids were sleeping through the night, we didn't need all the volunteers. I wasn't having to do the volunteer shift at night where my wife was like, you're going to play this Assassin's Creed game. And she actually bought me the game. Uh, at, at a certain point, I don't know if it was my birthday or Christmas or what it was. She happened to buy it on an Xbox and I had a PlayStation. So I had to go out. It was a nice gesture, right? <laughs> but I went and bought it on PlayStation. And and that's when I finally got to start playing it was once there was a little bit of wiggle room. Um, once the kids were doing better, the kids were sleeping through the night. Um, but then what happened after that was, unfortunately, and I'm going to make this quick. It's going to get sad, but it's going to get way better. W- one of my boys... Um, like at two and a half years old with diet was diagnosed with leukemia mm-hmm. and he went through three and a half years of treatment and then he was in remission. Um, and then after that, um, about a year, we had about a year of peacetime and then he started having these seizures and it was like 120 seizures a day at a certain point. And he had full generalized epilepsy. And then as soon as we started to that figure that out, which was like a three year process, his, his cancer relapsed and we we're back mm-hmm. in the hospital. Um, and he went through CAR T cell therapy and that failed and he relapsed again. And then he finally had a bone marrow transplant in 2019. So there's this like, like sometimes Assassin's Creed fans will ask me like, where have you been all this time? And, and that's where I've been, right? That's where like Assassin's Creed, I recorded Assassin's Creed. And then, uh, we had quadruplets. I played the game and then all of a sudden leukemia came into our lives. And then it's just this been this arc 
of really just tough personal stuff all the way through like the beginning mm-hmm. of the pandemic. So my son came out of bone marrow transplant in 2019 and um, basically they're, you know, right into the pandemic where everybody was stuck at home for this long period of time. And so uh, even if you look at my IMDB, you'll see like, it's like from like, I don't know, there's like a seven, eight year period. There's nothing there because when you're in the hospital all the time and, and, and you're struggling with your family and there's tough personal stuff going on, I had to book out with my agent and say, I'm just not available um, to do anything. And so during that time, I did have a commercial agent pursue me. I signed with a commercial agent and then I could do commercial voice work because I was doing it from home because um, I could do it at home. I didn't have to leave home to, to, to do commercial voice work. But basically, there's a long period of time where my career or pursuing my career was tabled until um, – until you know the end of that bone marrow transplant and then came out out of the pandemic just swinging Mm. um and so there's all this time where all these all these assassin's creed games came out right like all these like like especially by the time like my son came out of bone marrow transplant i was able to look backwards i was like holy cow like i don't i need to like wikipedia every one of these (laughs) games and see who's the who's the popular assassin now do people hate altier now like what's like what's happened in this community. And I was like, no, Assassin's Creed community is still huge. Mm-hmm. And so this year was sort of the first year where I've been able to sort of be like, okay, I want to start uh, jumping into getting to know some fans, uh, get that Instagram going so I can connect with fans. And I think that, you know, that's how you and I met is I just mm-hmm. happened to post. I wanted to just say hi on the, uh, um, on the Facebook page. Um, Cause I didn't even know that existed until I was like, I wonder if there's a Facebook page. And I looked it up and there you were. And so it's been a really meaningful experience this year to interact with Assassin's Creed fans. But, um, but that's the, that's the story. I can't remember what your original question was. Um, I've got it written down. I think I got it written down here um, somewhere. Yeah. Um, If if Altair would become as big as he did. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was, that was, I answered a lot of questions that you didn't ask in that. (laughs) No, that's okay. You're all good. But, but yeah, so uh, it was, the the thesis, my thesis is that I could not have expected, like, there's no, how could you have expected that this mm-hmm. thing would turn into a 12, 13 game franchise with mm-hmm. a movie and Netflix now developing a TV show, hopefully, for Assassin's Creed, which I'm really excited for. At the time, it was clear that the world building and the approach to these characters was something that was new and fresh and that we had not seen and that would rival movies in mm-hmm. its um, quest for people's attention. That was clear. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, I'm sure that's hard time in your life, but it's super exciting that you're like getting back into the community and able to connect with fans. That's awesome. And I know that like, there are so many Assassin's Creed fans out there who like still go hard for the old games and who still love Altair and like still have him as their favorite assassin for sure. Well, look, so I had um, in all that time I just described, I had one experience um, with fans and it was the MCM Expo in London. And it happened to the request to go to that convention was like right in between the cancer and the seizures. And so my wife and I are like, should we do Let's go. Let's do this. And I cannot like, I cannot describe, it's hard to describe how meaningful that convention experience was. Uh, the cosplay was unbelievable. And it wasn't just the cosplay. These, these guys would come in in their Altier outfits with their mom, who's holding the book in her hand. And like, I'm a huge fan 
of Assassin's Creed. Altier is my favorite character. And by the way, he's wearing the costume, but I made it for him. Like that stuff was so, so cool. And so that was like the one glimpse I had into what was going on with Assassin's Creed. And it was really cool. Yeah, that's so funny because it's so true. And like, it's still true today. Like we went to our Renaissance fair that happens every May. Um, we went this year for like the first time we'd never been together. And literally I saw someone wearing an Altair costume. And I'm like, <laughs> first of all, this is not the right time period. Good it's not try. the right time period. But like, yeah, no, it's iconic. Um, and it's so funny to me because like, on that note, I feel like Altair is so iconic in his outfit and what he wears. Yeah. Um, you know, he's the first assassin we ever meet. And I guess I wonder if this is kind of going on the last question. So it may be a little similar, but like, did you have any idea that Altair specifically, not Assassin's Creed as a franchise, but Altair specifically as a character would kind of like be so iconic in his look and feel and that people, you know, would dress up to, dress up as him almost 20 years later? Yeah. So I think that like uh, referring to a previous response I had, when I got to see the Altair model, I was immediately moved by his look the hood the leather straps the hidden blade all those things about altair he sort of looked like this medieval jedi like they're this you know this uh, 11th century excuse me 11th century jedi and he doesn't have a laser sword but he's got something real similar that he uses in his time and the way he moves around and 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 what you can do with him and just like the ability to sort of have this like that parkour that he was able to do in that mm -hmm. first game was another bonkers thing. Um, for that time, his, his parkour was mind blowing um, that you could do what you could do with him and the way the outfit moved as he moved. And then especially in that game trailer, it really, I, I keep referring to this game trailer. If you're listening to this and you've not seen the original game trailer, you should watch it because what they do for the first time is they take a video game, uh, trailer and and I, and I remember from that time two primary trailers. One was this cinematic trailer. The next one was Al Mualim at this long dinner table talking to all the Templars and um, asks them to stand up if they're with him. And the one at the other end does not stand up, and you see the blade sort of retract, and then Altair sort of slink back into the shadows and you're like, Oh, that's awesome. But what they did was they used, uh, uh, they used gameplay footage. What separated the cinematic trailer was that when you first watched it at that time, you weren't sure if it was live action or not. It was that mm -hmm. crisp and clean. I mean, it looked live action and the way he moved through the crowd and pulled out the crossbow and made that jump. And then the slow-mo of the blade coming out of his wrist, it was like, oh, this this is the coolest character I've ever seen. Never mind just video games. How cool he is. He's an 11th century Jedi. And so um, could, have I, could I have anticipated that he'd be this iconic? Probably not, if I'm being honest. Am I surprised that he's this iconic? Not at all. Altair is so cool. Mm -hmm. And I think he's going to stay that way for a while. I totally mm -hmm. agree. And I think like Altair and Ezio from the first two games, like uh -huh. they are, they are the icons <laughs> to me of this series. And like, you even see that in the new games, like 
you always have every time they release a new game, like you always get or you can get um, like Ezio's outfit, Altair's outfit. And like you can wear that on your whatever assassin that you may be like you can get it in Valhalla and wear um, Altair's outfit in 1800 or 800s England. So like it's just it's stayed through the series like throughout every time and so both of those two Altair and Ezio um I think yeah. are just like so iconic in their look in their clothing their swagger both of them I think have this kind of like they're just cool guys and you you just see that <laughs> yeah so that's for sure yeah um so the last question I have and Austin may have more but um just would you ever want to return as Altair? And if you did, what would you like to see his character do? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, of course, I like, I, I think that I'll start here, man, just remaster this video game. Just re just remaster <laughs> yes. this video game, remaster it and re-released it. Like introduce it to a whole generation of Assassin's Creed fans who aren't going to go backwards because it's too tough to do or it's too clunky or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like remaster this game so we can, so I can introduce it to my kids so we can play it again because that first game is really, really special. Mm -hmm. It's a really incredible game with a really, really nuanced, incredible story. Let's start by remastering the game. Um, you know, another, uh, you guys haven't asked this question, but a question that I've, I've received in the past is what about like, how, were you in Revelations? Did you, or, or uh, how come you weren't in Revelations or did you audition um, uh, for Revelations? And even recently, somebody played me like a video where there's like, a lot of people think this is you, this is your voice auditioning for, um, uh, for Altair. And I was like, and I listened to it. I was like, no, that's not my voice. Cause yeah, he had the Middle Eastern accent in that audition or whatever it is. Um, that Revelations came at a time when I was unavailable. And so I don't know if they called me or if they just decided to go in a different direction. You know, either way is totally fine. This kind of thing happens in Hollywood all the time where you get cast in something to decide to go in a different direction or somebody calls you and you're taking someone else's place. It just happens all the time. And so you have to have very thick skin in, mm. in Hollywood. Like even with auditions or even like if you've done a season of TV, and you're really hopeful they might call you back for the next one. You just got to be like, nope, I'm done. I finished this job. Now I got to completely forget about it. I just finished the audition. I got to completely forget about it for my own mental health. Like in order to stay sane, I need to look forward, not look backward or hope mm -hmm. that um, that I get a call for for this or that. And so would I love to be involved? Would I love to reprise, re reprise his role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, would I love it even more if we were able to make Altair Middle Eastern accented. I'm ready for that for sure. That'd be amazing. Um, uh, and, uh, and it would just fit so well, especially now in 2023. Um, in terms of what I'd like to see from this character, here's the thing. Uh, I don't know what they're doing with the Assassin's Creed TV show on Netflix. Um, Ubisoft came out with an announcement and I think it's been a num it's been some time before they've said anything about it or commented on the development. I don't know, Shelby mm -hmm. or Austin, if you know more than I do. It's been a while. That gets me very, very excited. The idea that um, they could, because they could tell an, an original Assassin's Creed style story and take their time through it on a 10 or 12 episode show, that would be very, very different from a movie. And I think that benefits um, Assassin's Creed. That would benefit because it's mm -hmm. all about character when you can take and expand over eight to 12 episodes. I think that would be really amazing. 
I think the other thing about that I love about Assassin's Creed and specifically Altair when it first came out is that like now looking back, I'm like, this is like the original John Wick. Like this is like, he's, he's, you know, there is part, part of the reason why John Wick, why people love John Wick right now is because not just because of the incredible gunplay and fight scenes, but there's the world building behind how this assassin system works is so cool and you want to learn more and it expands. Assassin's Creed is the same way. Assassin's Creed is the same thing. They just did it way earlier than John Wick. And so um, I think that um, an eight to 12 episode TV show where we can do a character study that has, um, that has action. And I don't know if y'all are watching Ahsoka right now, Mm -hmm. but um, what Ahsoka is doing, what Dave Filoni is doing with Ahsoka I think Ubisoft could do with an Assassin's Creed TV show really, really well. The only thing I would ask, and the bummer about the movie was, um, and I, Michael, like, I remember, like, I can't remember if it was that con that I did in London. I just remember calling my shot. I was like, somebody asked me, like, oh, dude, they're doing the Assassin's Creed movie. Are you going to be in it? I was like, they're not going to call me. They're going to call, like, Michael Fassbender. And sure enough, it ended up being Michael <laughs> Fassbender for the, for the Assassin's Creed movie. <laughs> Uh, what bummed me about the movie, bummed me out about the movie was that as, as, um, when Michael Fassbender was the assassin, when he's out of the animus, you can see the animus. He's hooked into the animus as he's running around. So these, both these images of the present and the, and the past are layered over each other, which to me, it took so much away from, um, from the movie. My hope is that if, and, and what I love about the animus, in the original Assassin's Creed is that Desmond is learning as Altair is learning. They're both growing. Mm. They both have an arc at the same time. And that's like some mm. brilliant storytelling there. But I think for the purpose of, of the visual storytelling in a TV show, in a movie, man, separate those out because that world building, like to be in, um, to be in what, what looks like a, um, a realistic 11th century Jerusalem following this assassin around in the grit, in the grime uh, would just be incredible. It would be like, you know, five stars above any sword and sandal movie that you could have. And so that, that is, that is like my, my real hope. And then I'd have to find a way to worm into that TV show for sure. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, I, I know they have like not released any information about the show at all. Like we just know it's happening. That's all. So, or at least it was. So we'll see if we get any news on that front. Um, but Austin, before we wrap up, did you have any other questions that you wanted to ask? I don't think so. I do like really appreciate you coming out here and you bring up a lot of great points and like even just the revolutionary of like that era of like 2007 to 2010 and video games across the board is just a real turning point for the industry. But I remember like one thing that keeps coming out is the blending in the crowd. And I remember Assassin's Creed being the first game where it was like, I don't have to fight everybody. Mm. Right. I can walk through this without lifting a finger and walk out as if no one knew I was there. And I remember being like, oh, you have to really pay attention to do that. You have to like, and be really patient. And I was like, oh, here are a bunch of video gamers who, you know, statistically mostly have ADHD now have to sit patiently (laughs) and wait for the guard to walk by. Yeah, Yeah, the game was uh, just as much interacting with your environment and strategy than it was trying to get that final kill. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I remember, like, it took me forever to get out of the kingdom. Like, when you get on the horse and, like, you're galloping mm-hmm. from one section to the other, I'm like, I must have spent two days in there trying to figure out how to get out of there. Yeah. And that in and of itself, like, love for them to clean that up on, on, a, on a remaster. But at the same time, it was, yeah, it, that you could spend two or three days in that kingdom and not be able to get out um, trying to find Jerusalem. And uh, you're not going to kill anybody. <laughs> <laughs> true. Very true. Well, before we wrap up for the day, is there any or are there any questions you might have for us? What do you want to see? Like what like what would you if you had your Assassin's Creed wish, what would it be? Yeah. So, OK, I do have an answer for this. I um, I have said this over and over again on this show. I want two things. Um, I really want us to go back to having actual assassins be the protagonists for the last two games. And I mean, I guess you could kind of say origins, like it's not been assassins. It's been people associated with the assassins or for Odyssey, like way before that more Isu kind of narrative. So I want us to go back to the assassins. I want to see more female protagonist assassins. And I really want a setting in like India during maybe the British colonial rule. I think that could tie in perfectly to the Assassin's Creed story in England. That setting I think would just be awesome. So that's what I want. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about you, Austin. I think now that you're talking about this TV show and I think it would be really awesome. I think Assassin's Creed as a franchise, one of the things that is unique about it, that is the fact that the modern day story running concurrently with the historical Mm -hmm. narrative and there's the you know symmetry of the arcs in there i think i would we've been talking about like oh when are we going to get a assassin's creed game set in the modern day like that's just the but i think a show might be an opportunity to dive into the more modern day assassins Mm. yeah yeah very cool that's a good point very cool Awesome. Well, thanks again, Philip, so much for joining us. This has been a really awesome um, episode and just great to hear your thoughts about Altair and about the franchise. But before we end for the day, um, is there anything that you're doing that you'd like our listeners to know about? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Due, due to the strike, it's not like I can talk about everything, but there is one yeah. thing specifically I can talk about because it does have an interim agreement. And that is, um, um, you can see me. Um, this coming year on season four of The Chosen. Um, I'll be reprising my role in uh, in The Chosen. And um, if you haven't heard of The Chosen, um, it's a it's basically a prestige television show about the life of Jesus and his disciples. Um, you know, prior to having watched The Chosen, like basically I watched that show and then I was like, I got to get on this show um, for a number of reasons. But one of them is prior to this show, faith-based, often faith-based programming is pretty subpar. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. oftentimes had a lot of rules. And because it has rules, it can't be the best version of art it can be. What The Chosen does is it breaks those rules. And so it's not a, um, I don't see it as a faith-based show so much as I see it as a prestige television show about the life of Jesus. Um, you watch this show, if you don't cry just a little bit by the end of season one, I'd be very, very surprised. <laughs> it is very, very good. And I'm, I'm very proud of uh, to be and very privileged and thankful to be part of the show. So that's coming out next year. And all eight episodes are going to be streaming um, for free online, but they're also going to all be in the movie theaters as well, which will be really fun. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, and then for, gosh, any fans that listen to this, like, uh, you know, I haven't been clear, I, I, this is my year to connect with fans. This is when I finally like come out of the, it's peacetime in the Shabazz house and I'm looking to connect with fans. And so I really do my best to respond to fans online, to ref- respond to fans on Instagram. I'm like mostly on Instagram. Um, but I pop onto Facebook and, and to, to see what's going on there. So, um, if you reach out to me, it might not be right away, but I will respond. And so, um, so just a big, like huge thanks to all the Assassin's Creed fans and all the love over the years. Um, Assassin's Creed fans are the best. Um, and, and not, and not near as high maintenance as us Star Wars fans. Like it's so true. (laughs) (laughs) I run a Star Wars podcast too. So what's the Star Wars podcast? (laughs) Uh, so I co-hosted with another person who's the more like, kind of like lore, but it's called Holocron Histories, and we talk about the differences between the pre-Disney canon and the post-Disney canon. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's so you, you guys, you guys talk in detail about all the legend stuff that's no longer, and how they're incorporating it into the post-Disney. Yeah, and yeah. just like differences or different ways they've kind of taken this and different takes on it. Yeah. Now, did you draw that Revan in the background? No, that was some artwork that Shelby got me. For a holiday or birthday yeah, or something. She plays video games with you, gets you Revan artwork. That's amazing. <laughs> Nerdy power couple, I guess. That's amazing. <laughs> well, let's wrap this up. Um, thank you again for being here. And thank you all for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at AC Lorecast. If you have any lore questions or topics to unpack, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. Find us on patreon.com slash Assassin's Creed Lorecast. The Assassin's Creed Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode's description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, make sure you give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. And always remember, Assassins, stay in the shadows to serve the light. fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Nicola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? 
Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's The Elden Archives, a FromSoft Lorecast, available everywhere. <laughs>